Hey there, welcome to episode 12 of Screen Facts with Jason Davis. And joining me once again on the podcast is my cousin Warren Sadowski. Hi there. We are going to talk about a movie today that you had mentioned is one of your all-time favorites. Oh, I, I love this movie. I mean, I could watch it. I, I've probably watched it 20 times since it's come out, and I could watch it again and again. I really enjoyed watching this again. So the movie we're going to talk about is Big. Released June 3rd, 1988. You know, we keep talking about all these movies from the 80s. They hold up really, really well. It seems like yesterday. Yeah, it really does. And I think that the reason they hold up so well is because they're so well written. You know, a lot of the movies that come out nowadays, it seems like there's a lot of fluff, a lot of special effects, and not a lot of focus on the script. Right. And, you know, granted, this is a, a comedy. It's not, you know, a big event film. But still, it holds up as long as it has and, and is still very enjoyable and fun because it's just very well written. It's uh, written by Gary Ross, who also wrote Seabiscuit and The Hunger Games, among others. And Steven Spielberg's sister, Anne, was the co-writer on this movie. Directed by Penny Marshall, who, by the way, became the first female director to ever direct a movie that grossed more than $100 million at the box office thanks to the success of this film. Well, the film stars Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Perkins, and Robert Loggia. So the filming took place in August through October of 1987, and a lot of the scenes at Josh's house were shot in Cliffside Park, New Jersey. And you can actually see, if you're paying attention, the George Washington Bridge in the background. The film had an estimated budget of $18 million, and it grossed just under $115 million in the U.S. and over $151 million worldwide. you got to remember, too, that it's a comedy, one, and two, you know, this is $1988 we're talking right. about. If you adjusted for inflation now, that would, that would be a pretty successful comedy. Exactly. It was actually nominated for a couple of Oscars, Best Screenplay, written directly for the screen, and Tom Hanks, of course, was nominated for Best Actor. I had to look it up because I couldn't remember. He lost the Oscar to Dustin Hoffman for his portrayal in Rain Man. Now, oh, sure. that's kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> right. Know? But he did win the Best Actor in a Comedy Golden Globe, Of course, Tom Hanks. So. Yeah, I guess if there was a comedy award in the Oscars, it yeah. might have gone to him. But, Definitely. Uh, now, I don't think too many comedies win Oscars uh, in the history. Yeah, that's true. I think the, the, only, the first one that comes to mind always is uh, Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny. Sure. She won for that. Of course. Um, but yeah, you know, this is not as showy of a role as uh, what Dustin Hoffman did in Rain Man. However, I got to say this. Initially, when I went to watch this movie again and I remembered that he was nominated for the Oscar, you know, I remember thinking, you know, he's really good in this. But Oscar worthy? I don't know. Yeah. And then I got to tell you, when I watched this movie, I was like, wow, I get it now. Uh-huh. You know, he really embodies a 12-year-old. And it's not just how he talks, but even it's subtle things in his body language. There's a scene in the movie where they're looking for the Zoltar machine. Mm -hmm. They go to a store that sells video games or rents out video games or whatever. And, and they leave the store after they don't find the Zoltar machine. And they're running across the street, he and his friend. And just the way Tom Hanks runs across the street, <laughs> right. he runs like a 12-year-old. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's really great. And there's a couple of ways that he prepared to play a 12-year-old. First off, he met the young version of himself, David Moscow, the actor. He studied videotapes of him to see how he behaved and how he spoke. And Penny Marshall also helped him out with his portrayal. She filmed each of the grown-up scenes with the younger counterpart, David Moscow, playing Tom Hanks's part. And then Tom Hanks would copy David Moscow's behavior. Brilliant. Watching that. Yeah, that's really cool, right? Yep. What really hit home and what I, I loved about this movie was just 
the, the thought of experiencing a grown-up world through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy. You know, when you think about it, when you're 12 years old, I don't know about 12-year-olds today, they're a little bit more sophisticated than we were when, you know, we were 12 years old. Let me just let me just jump in really quick. I'm glad you mentioned that. We're watching the movie the other night with Tommy, who's almost 14. He'll be 14 uh, later this month. And he actually said, wow, he's really kind of babyish for a 12-year-old. <laughs> and And you know what? That's a very interesting observation from a teenager nowadays, because back in the 80s, you know, we didn't have all the stuff that kids have today. And we joke about it as older people, you know, oh, we had it so good. And the truth is we did. I mean, there's a scene in the movie where there's two kids playing in a pile of leaves, just throwing the leaves right. up. And that's like a good time. Uh -huh. Like you're not going to see kids doing that nowadays unless there's an app. Right, exactly. And the other fun thing about it is you could see everything is taken so literal. Yeah. So and and that double entendre that's played off because you know you've got this 12-year-old kid interacting with these grown-ups and what seems so innocent to the 12-year-old kind of gets taken in a different context by the grown-ups. So, you know, it, it really plays out well throughout the movie. Robert Loggia said that the day that they filmed the famous keyboard scene, he and Tom Hanks noticed that they had doubles dressed like them that were there in case the two of them couldn't <laughs> do the dance moves. And they made it their goal to uh, to do the whole number by themselves, and they, they succeeded. That's determination. Yeah, that's and that's a pretty physical scene, too. Oh, yeah. So the walking piano, by the way, was originally six and a half feet long and only one octave. So the piano was too small to play heart and soul. Penny Marshall contacted Remo Saracini, the creator of the piano, and she said that she needed one built large enough to accommodate the dancing feet of two grown men. And then he made a 16-foot-long, full three-octave piano that was used in the scene. And even though FAO Schwartz, unfortunately, is closing, but all these years, if you went to the store, you could see that, and you can actually book time to go and play it. You have to make an appointment, though. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> and I think they charge you, too. As I've talked about in past podcasts, it's always interesting to hear some of the people that were considered for key roles in movies. This one could have been a very different movie. Tom Hanks was the first choice to play Josh Baskin, but uh, he was unavailable initially because he was working on Dragnet and Punchline. The lead role was offered to Robert De Niro, if you can oh, imagine that. No, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, he wanted to do it, but he didn't get the part because he wanted too much money. He was asking for $6 million, and it was just too much for the budget. Hanks ended up becoming available, and then he took the role for $2 million. David Moscow was originally cast not as young Josh, but as the character of Billy, his friend, because he didn't look like Robert De Niro. When Tom Hanks was cast, they switched him back to young Josh, David Moscow, and they gave him colored contact lenses so his eye color would match Tom Hanks. The thing about De Niro is that he was such a powerful guy in Hollywood that he helped get the movie made. None of the studios were interested in making the movie until they found out that he was interested in being in it. So even though he didn't end up being in it, that generated interest in the movie for uh, you know all the other people involved. John Travolta was actually Penny Marshall's first choice to play Josh, hmm. but the studio didn't want him. They said, oh, he's box office poison. He's really, you know, his career is on the downturn. It took a couple of years for him to kind of get back into the good graces of Hollywood, but his career started to get back on track the following year in Look Who's Talking. Every line that they ask him, he'd be looking back at them saying, what, what? what? <laughs> Vinnie Barbarino. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So um, Harrison Ford, Albert Brooks, and Dennis Quaid also turned down the role of Josh. Quaid told Larry King in an interview that he turned it down because he wanted to do Everybody's All-American. That was probably a, a choice he regretted. Oh, <laughs> sure. And Gary Busey had also auditioned for this movie. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this was before he was crazy Gary Busey. Okay. Though. Deborah Winger was originally considered for the Susan Lawrence role, but she couldn't take the part because she was pregnant at the time, and she was the one who recommended Elizabeth Perkins. And Jared Rushton, who plays Josh's friend Billy Capecchi, was a natural blonde, and they actually had his hair dyed for the film. The interesting thing about the Elizabeth Perkins role is that it seems like such a throwaway when you compare it to Tom Hanks. But the thing about her role that's kind of cool is that if you watch, you see a transformation happen. She starts out as being this real uptight, hair perfectly quaffed in the, the business suits and all that kind of stuff, and really like perfectly well kept and everything. And then as the movie progresses and she gets to know Josh and starts getting involved with him romantically, you see her kind of slowly loosen up. Her hair is down, right. and the clothing that she wears is almost kid-like at points. And Yeah, she's no longer as uptight, and yeah. you, know, you can kind of see that metamorphosis with her, too. Yeah, and, and Elizabeth Perkins does a great job of playing all the different shades of that character. Right. You know? What are some of the other scenes that really stick out for you? you know, one of my real favorite ones is just go all the way back to the very beginning, after Josh turns into this grown-up, and there they're trying to figure out, all right, what do they do next? And decides, okay, they're going to lay low. They're going to go to the city for a couple <laughs> of days until they find this Zoltar machine to make a wish and turn back into a child and go back home. And, you know, the prostitutes say to him, you looking for some fun tonight, sweet thing? And he's like, no, thank you. You know, <laughs> just like a little boy. And then, you know, the homeless man, hey, man, can you spare some change? And he's like, no, not really. You know, I mean, it's just like the innocence right. is, is really coming through. And then they find the hotel. Tell. Right. And it, it, it's hysterical because Billy's looking there. He says, hey, this looks okay. And you know, he looks up at the sign of the name of it. It says St. James. You know, and, and Billy's like, yeah, St. James, Josh. It's religious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a great scene in, um, in that, you know, once they get into the hotel room and stuff, again, that demonstrates Tom Hanks' brilliance as an actor. You know, after Billy leaves and he's there by himself and there's gunshots outside <laughs> right. and, and there's yelling in the hallway and all kinds of stuff going on that, you know, would scare the crap out of any 12-year-old. Uh -huh. He curls up on the bed under the covers, <laughs> kind of in the fetal position, and he just starts crying. Right. I mean, it's so believable. Uh -huh. It's so like, wow, he's 12 right there. It's right. amazing. Oh, spot on. So now, of course, he has to get a job. So he searches the want ads with Billy, and he finds a job at a toy company. So he's at his desk the first morning. And who's his cubicle mate? Scotty Brennan is his name, played by John Lovitz. Scene stealer. You know? He's oh awesome. Oh, my God. You know, and here he is. He's he's the guy who's there to teach Josh the ropes on his first <laughs> day of work. He sees, you know, Josh diligently trying to do everything, and he's like, you know, yelling over the wall, hey, listen, what are you trying to do? Get us all fired? Josh is like, huh? Yeah, you got to slow down. Pace yourself slowly, slowly. You know? <laughs> Then Scotty, you know, is like pointing at He says, hey, you see that girl over there in the red? <laughs> Say hi to her, and she's yours. She'll have her legs wrapped around you so tight, you'll be begging for mercy. And then Josh says, well, I'll stay away from her then. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other great scenes in the movie is when the company has the party. Tom Hanks shows up in the uh, crazy tuxedo, the white tuxedo <laughs> with, like, the trim and uh -huh. stuff. He has one of those little mini corn on the cobs from the salad bar, and he starts eating it like a real corn on the oh, cob. The baby corn. I yeah, do. Corn. I do that every time I have a, a baby corn. It's like classic. My family like cringes because they know. Uh oh, there's uh, baby corn there. Dad's gonna go do his like 
big Tom scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was actually improvised by Tom Hanks. That wasn't in the script. Oh, it that was scene. great. That that's one of the best. And then the uh the scene where um they're eating the caviar. <laughs> yeah. He has <laughs> he, no clue. Yeah, he puts the caviar in his mouth and then he just starts choking on it. <laughs> right. He's like <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Elizabeth Perkins says, "Are you okay? Do you, do, can I get you something?" And he's like, "Can I have a milkshake or something?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he seems out of place right. there. And then Susan is kind of like, "I got a car downstairs. You want to get out of here?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." So they go downstairs. They get into this limo, and you know, she's trying to have a serious conversation with the car about how vulnerable she is. Right. Meanwhile, he's in there playing with all the buttons and gadgets of the limo. You know, and then they come to Josh apartment and yeah she's like i really want to i'd love to see your place yeah i'm oh, not okay. so sure we should do this and you know he's like do what you know well you know i like you and i want you to spend the night with you and he's like you mean sleep over <laughs> you know? and and she's like well yeah and you know he's like i get to be on top <laughs> right <laughs> of course he's talking about bunk beds <laughs> yeah right so this movie has something in common with 1987 Spaceballs and 1988's caddyshack 2 and beetlejuice each of them contain the word fuck in a film rated PG during the PG-13 era. Well, that is interesting. I, I didn't, you know, I'd have to really like watch the film again and figure out where in the world did they do that? Cause it was, uh, it's it was, Billy says it to him. Okay. You know, Billy says fuck you to him because he's mad because he's too wrapped up in the job and of being his oh, friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Now I remember that. Yeah. I like the part of the movie where John Hurd's character, the other executive, where he's trying to get to know him. So he decides he's going to play racquetball with him. And what does Josh say to him? Wouldn't you rather play basketball? You know, I'm not very good at sports. I'm much better at video hockey. Hmm. You know, and Paul starts, well, that's not a sport. They get into this whole dialogue. And he starts like peppering him with, what about golf? That's not a sport. You don't sweat. Well, what about if you let some machine do all the work? And he says, well, what about car racing? He's like, shut up, basket. <laughs> <laughs> So the racquetball scene was was funny too. Susan's sort of sensing that Josh isn't telling her everything, and you know he's like, "Well, I haven't told you something because if I did, I didn't think you'd believe me, and if you did believe me, you wouldn't like me anymore." She's like, "Well, you could tell me everything." He's like, "I'm not who you think I am." So, oh my God, you're married, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, he he starts going on. He says, "You know, before I met you, I was in little league. I was in little league, and I rode my bike to school, and I played with my friends, and hung out with them, and..." I want to go home. I miss my family and I want to go home. And that's the conclusion she draws. I knew this was too good to be true. And he's like pleading with, no, no, I'm not married. And she's like, you're not? He says, no, I'm a child. She's, you know, coming back at him and everything. Oh, and who is it? You think there isn't a frightened kid inside of me too? I like when she's so enamored with him that when he explains his the age difference and all that, she's, she's trying to do arithmetic in her head, <laughs> trying to figure out, so what are you, like 15, 16? And he's like 13. Oh, you know, <laughs> like she's thinking that maybe there's a chance that in a couple of years they can connect again. Right. I almost forgot one of the funniest scenes. It's easy to miss it if you're not really paying close attention. It's where Susan's pouring milk into her coffee at breakfast. And she, she doesn't see the reverse side of the milk carton, right. which has a picture of the young Josh and in big letters, missing Joshua Baskin. Yeah, well, what happened was John Hurd, the other executive, he says to her, you know, where did this guy come from? He had to come from somewhere. You know, he doesn't just pop out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, and she's like, I tried all of the other toy companies. Nobody's ever heard of Josh Baskin. And there he is on the, on the milk carton. <laughs> yeah. So just think how all this would play out today. 
So all this happens, he disappears, he's missing. Okay, number one, the police will be all over this. They'll right. have, you know, they'll be looking for him. Elizabeth's gonna be arrested now, you, right. know, you know, for for probably some sort of sexual assault. Right, you know? so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's gonna be on To Catch a Predator or something like yeah. that. We are living in a much different world than most of these 80s movies, you and know? That, and that's what I really love about this movie is, you know, every couple of years or whatever, you can flip it on, you could be flipping the channels, and you happen to see it. Doesn't matter where you get into it, the beginning, the middle, you know, towards the end. But it's, you know, one of those types of movies where it's a feel-good kind of movie. Yeah. And it kind of takes you back to that time. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, the reason why I enjoy watching all of these older movies. Because growing up during that time, things were just a lot easier. There's just too much information nowadays. And, and most of it's bad. Right. Most of it's negative. You know, that's one of the things about Facebook. I don't go on a lot because it's just every time you go on and you start going through your news feed, it's just one negative thing after another. So it's very frustrating. Yeah, I feel sorry for some of these kids growing up today because they yeah. really don't get to enjoy being a kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you said earlier, we you go back to that time. We, you and I, you know, we could go out, go down to the schoolyard, playground, mm-hmm. play it. You know, games of pickup basketball, pickup baseball, whatever, yep. with a whole bunch of friends. Now, it's all got to be organized. And yeah. you know, once you let the adults in, oh, involved please. in it, forget it. You know, and they're, then you get, they're and playing then you get, out their egos. <laughs> exactly. You know? And then, like, you get parents that, that you know, yell at the umpire at the Little exactly. League game. Or, you know, uh-huh. or, or yell at the coach for not playing their kid. Or exactly. This and that. But and yeah, these I kids mean, are just out there to have fun, yeah. have a good time. Exactly. And this picture really reminds you about going back to that time to be a kid again and just kind of seeing the world through their eyes. There's a great scene in the movie, in fact, where, where Tom Hanks starts walking through his old neighborhood and he's seeing all the kids playing. I think that's when he sees the kids in the pile of leaves and all that. But he goes to the ball field and two of his little league teammates are, you know, are playing a little game of pepper where the one kid's hitting the ball out to the outfield to the other kid. And, and I think that's when he realizes, I really want to be a kid again. I really miss this, you know? Right. You were talking about what it was like when we were growing up. I mean, you know, you probably had an even more different childhood than I did because you grew up in the city. Right. I mean, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey and I mean, you know, you literally could ride your bike over to your friend's house, you know, across town or whatever. And you knew you had to be home as it was getting dark. Right. Or you'd hear your parent yelling from outside the right. window, time to come home. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's real. That was, <laughs> you, that was you the You went real out, thing. especially in the summer. You know, you'd get up in the morning, you'd go out, you wouldn't even have time to stop for lunch, you'd be hanging out with your friends, and, you know, you'd come back at dinner time, and that was, you know, the normalcy. I saw a great thing on Facebook, we talk about all the technology nowadays, kids, they don't, oh, and that's another thing, Sue mentioned this, Uh, we're watching the movie, and you know when he's uh, talking on the walkie-talkies with Billy across the way, you know, next door, Uh like, kids did that. Right. You know, now they text each other. There's no interaction anymore. Like, you know. You know, you know, the funny thing about that, it brings memories back to me because I just had lunch with one of my best friends from way back, my friend Mark, and we lived in Queens in an apartment building and he lived in the first floor. I lived on the second floor. There were probably about a dozen apartments on each floor, but we happened to live right above and below oh, that's one another. So whatever we wanted to talk, he would either bang up on the ceiling or nice. I would knock down on the floor and we'd open up the window because we both our bedrooms were in the same position and we'd just hang out the window and talk up and down. Yeah. Didn't matter what time of day or right. whatever. Kind of like the honeymooners. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, go ahead and come down here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's so different nowadays for kids. And uh, But there was a great thing on Facebook, I started to say, where it was a picture of a bunch of bikes just piled on top of one another. And it, and the, the caption was something like, you know, this is how we knew where everybody was in the neighborhood right. before text messaging and stuff. Uh-huh. 
it's sad, but that's really gone for kids nowadays. Yeah, a whole different, whole different lifestyle, whole different world we're living in. Yeah. So did you ever wonder what happened to David Moscow, who played young Josh? I know he stayed somewhat in acting, but I, I kind of thought I saw him a few times, but I'm not sure. Well, he ended up in Newsies with Christian Bale in 1992, and then he was in a movie called Just Married with Ashton Kutcher oh, wow. uh, in 2003, among other films. Uh-huh. Uh, he still does a little bit of acting, some TV movies, short films, things like that. He was engaged to um, Kerry Washington, the actress from Scandal, oh, wow. for a few years, 2004 to 2007. He ended up marrying someone else last year, and he also developed mixed income green buildings in Harlem. Interesting. So he's doing stuff that's good for the environment. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, a lot of child actors, you know, they some of them do hang around a little bit after they, they uh, mature. But it's very rare that a child actor, especially one in such an iconic role, right. goes on to become uh, a big movie star as an adult, too. I think that about wraps up Big. If you have any thoughts or, or screen facts of your own about Big that you want to share, or if you have any feedback about the podcast in general, please send me an email at screenfacts at yahoo.com. And also, please take some time, if you could, to rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. By doing that, you're going to help other people find this podcast, and that's what we're hoping for. Please also check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. There's info there about the other places that you can find this podcast, and you can also... Uh, order a ScreenFAX t-shirt if you'd like. Warren, thanks for coming in uh, and talking about Big. This is fun. Oh, I enjoyed it. Always a pleasure and, and really enjoyable. Brings me back to the, these old times and, yeah. and really enjoyed it. A lot of great movies. And hopefully, we assume that most people have seen this movie because it's been around and, and it's a pretty big hit and all that. But you know what? Maybe people will, will go and check it out again because uh, they forgot how great it was. It's definitely worth checking out again. Well, thanks for listening. Join me again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Bye-bye.